Welcome to Writer Syndrome, a podcast about writing from start to finish. This episode's topic, the querying process. I'm Russ Capasso. Joining me as always is Tim Letney. And Tim, how are, how are you doing with this process? Because you're in the middle of it, and that's exciting. It is interesting, maybe slightly soul-sucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. It's a completely different part of my brain. And um, I feel like sometimes I go to writing for a little bit of a dopamine hit. You know, I get in this routine. I feel very, very productive. Yeah. Querying your novel feels a lot like to me applying for jobs that you're <laughs> never going to get, you know? <laughs> you have no experience. Why would you send this to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the same, like, to me, you know, I talked about writing and how sometimes it mirrors, you know, running or exercise or any kind of like positive habit. Querying really does feel like the application process for jobs that maybe you're not necessarily qualified for. You know, there's a yeah. lot of self-doubt that creeps in. It's not filled with much positive reinforcement. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of the same pitfalls between applying for a job and putting a query together. And a lot of that is being underprepared, rushing, not taking your time, feeling this kind of unneeded sense of urgency to get yeah. it out. So I've sent out probably not many, probably five or six queries so far. My first one, I immediately regret it. You know, it was not ready. It wasn't ready. Oh, yeah. My my letter wasn't ready. I don't know if my first 10 pages was as polished as it should have been. We can get into all that because yeah. while I do think that when you're querying, everybody looks for something a slightly different, like slightly yeah. different. Really, there is a, a standard expectation of, of what you're going to be submitting. Yeah. Um, but to back up a second, just to explain for those who don't know what querying is, if you're choosing to not self-publish and you want to go the traditionally published route, in order to do that, you have to query. And mostly you have to query agents. Yeah. The advice that I've been given by, you know, authors I've spoken to is that reaching out to publishers directly is really a non-starter. Yeah. yeah. Very, very few accept manuscripts that are unsolicited. It just, it makes more sense. I think it's a better use of your time to do your research and try to find legitimate agents because there's piranha out there too that will try to gouge you, take advantage of you. Yeah. So early in the process, I started pulling together a list of potential agents. And I, I did that it was kind of related to comp research, competitive research, as I was reading books and, you know, getting used to who else was writing in this genre and, you know, who's being successful. Um, I'd look into who their agent was or, or who, who or what agency that they had worked with mm -hmm. and then pull together a relatively large spreadsheet of um, quote unquote S tier agents to reach out to. In retrospect, feel like I may have done that a little early. I think that added to the urgency. Mm hmm. For those who are beginning the process, I would recommend, honestly, working on your query materials first. Yeah, I know that seems kind of backwards, but I think it's really easy to get swept up into a process and creating this um, urgent task that needs to be done before your materials are polished. Yeah. That's a whole lot. How'd you, so that first query, how'd you, how'd you come to the conclusion that it wasn't good? <laughs> Other than being rejected, but I mean, like, I remember you, I remember you talked about it. You were, I think when you sent it, like, I think you texted me like a day later, and like, I shouldn't have sent that. Why did I send that? I think, yeah. And I was like, I, uh, how'd you know? Like, we just, just like, you just, after reading, researching more, you found like, maybe this wasn't the right thing. I, I packaged this incorrectly. And what aspects of it do you think were like totally off the wall? I mean, first and foremost, I had that spreadsheet 
I had all the contact information. So I opened up the window, the dialogue box. So it's just yeah. sitting there yeah. like a big trap. And in a way, I'm like, if I don't fill out this form and hit submit, I've failed today. Like, this is my task. So already there's this unnecessary sense of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. I had a broad synopsis. You know, I had kind of a broad idea of what my query letter would be. And I kind of composed them again on the fly in the dialogue box, you know, kind of referring to old documents I had. And in that moment, I filled it out. I thought I had done pretty well. I hit submit. And then I um, talked to you. <laughs> <laughs> cried for a little bit. Yeah, cried a little bit. Um, and then to your point, I, I went and I did a little more research about what's expected broadly from these, these materials. And just to say what they are, to kind of spell them out. There's the query letter, which we'll talk about. It's really pretty short, you know, 150 yeah. to 300 words. It's your title. It's your genre. It's, word you know, count. word count. Totally. Yeah. There's a little bit of a plot synopsis, little, like maybe even a log line, right? You can personalize if you want to a little bit. I think it's a good idea to personalize a little bit, just like you're writing a cover letter for a job application. Yeah. You've got your standard boilerplate, and then you kind of customize it to who you're reaching out to, to show that you do your homework, to show that it's a good fit. Yep. Because agents really are, the ones that are open to querying, are looking for certain flavors of things almost always. Like, yeah. I'm not going to query my horror book to somebody who's looking for science fiction, right? I, I don't think I would do that. Right, right. The next step is the plot synopsis. And it's tricky because some folks say they kind of want a full synopsis from soup to nuts. Like, yeah, you know, every major B, including the conclusion. And others say you don't want to spoil the whole thing. You kind of want to end on a teaser. And I'll say one of the most important things, again, like I talk about, you know, resources all the time on here. Yeah. But two that helped me the most were... Jane Friedman from janefriedman.com and, and Jessica Brody from Save the Cat Writes a Novel again, because at the end of Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Yeah, she gives like a little template, doesn't she? Yeah, She's got a template at the end. And now the first several <laughs> queries that I sent out did not use her template. Yeah, yeah. And unsurprisingly, her template has the beats. <laughs> they're part of it, which makes sense because they're the most persuasive, interesting parts, parts of, your, of book. your book. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I won't say that my first attempts at querying didn't involve them, yep. but it wasn't deliberate. It wasn't as intentional. And, and just to break it down, Jessica Brody suggests, right, that your synopsis is broken up into about three paragraphs. First paragraph will have the setup. You'll introduce the hero and their flaws, and then you'll get the catalyst. That paragraph's between like two and four sentences. Second paragraph, you kind of deal with the, like, the, the reason why the person would pick up the book, the fun and games section for the most part. And then three, you talk about the midpoint where you talk about the all is lost section. Mm. And she suggests ending on a cliffhanger, which is contrary to other advice you'll find online. Yeah. Yep. Some people will say that agents really want to know exactly, exactly how it's ending as opposed to teasing out and, you know, inspiring them to request for more. So I landed on that. It felt all the different synopsis that I had written. The one that reads the best really follows that template for me. Um, and that's the one that I'm sticking with now. So I sent out a query yesterday to an agent who was looking specifically for horror. Yeah. And I used that template and I, it felt strong. Yeah. I still am filled with regret. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. <laughs> I'll say because there's another really big component here. And it's like the elephant in the room. When do you query? Do you query 
when you're yeah. writing? Do you query after your first draft? What do you think, Russ? Oh, God. Well, in my limited research I did so many years ago, at this point, it feels like uh, it felt like it felt like there was kind of mixed mixed options. Some people were like, wait till you have a really polished manuscript. And then some yeah. were like, wait until you're like at that that kind of last draft of, you know, sending. Um, yeah. So I don't know. And also, yeah. So I would say most of the times it was like, wait until you're, you have a finished manuscript, make sure it's like polished. That's most of the times I read. So that's my feeling is that yeah. even though it feels like, cause there's going to be such a gap of time in between, you know, finishing your novel when it's polished and this process, it seems like, well, why don't I just do it while I'm yeah. polishing? Yeah. Um, I think it's the absolutely wrong decision. I think you want your novel as polished as can be. And, and like as a writer, right, you know, it never ends. You can whittle yeah. this thing down into a tweet, <laughs> you know, um, all was lost. But I'll say and then most importantly, because, you know, polishing a novel, it's tough. It's huge. Most importantly, make sure your first 10 to 20 pages are pristine, like yeah. absolutely pristine, because so many actually so far, all of the folks that I've queried have requested the first chapter, the first 10 pages or so. Yeah. So that's, that was going to be my question was going to be so far in your experience, like how much of the manuscripts have, have our agents looking for. And then in that case, like maybe you can query before you have this fully polished manuscript. I mean, I know, mm. you know, like if, if you know that some, someone's just gonna be looking for like the first 10 pages, yep. maybe you just focus on making that really, really awesome. You kind of know where you're, hopefully your first 10 pages are not going to change that much as you're going through drafts. Uh, you know, who knows like, that that can happen, but I don't know, maybe that's uh, an option, but I still feel like finish the book, make sure the book is, is perfect. Cause then if you start thinking about sending out querying your, your, your brain's now in a different, different animal. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I think there's such different parts of your brain. There's such different parts of the process. Yeah. That I don't think you'd want to introduce this new chasm of self-doubt <laughs> while yes. you're writing because yeah. we talk about it all the time. It's really easy to get derailed, right? Mm -hmm. And like I said, there is really no positive reinforcement when you're querying. <laughs> it's either yes or no, right? You get yeah. the job or you don't get the job. The best thing, like if you get a response, the response might be, we're not interested. Keep on plugging. Now, that could be times 100. So how many times do you get rejected before you give up on your work in progress? I'd say finish it. And that way, if you do end up kind of getting battered around and not feeling great, you have the option to self-publish. You finished your manuscript. Yeah. You move on to the next piece. Maybe hire a professional editor and push that away. You don't want to do anything yeah. that makes you stop writing. Because at the end of the day, that's why we're doing it. It's yeah, the process. Yeah. It's the writing. I don't think anybody should have this kind of arrival fallacy that yeah. publishing is going to make them happy. I mean, I'm reminded of um, the Anne Lamont book, Bird by Bird, because she captured it really kind of wonderfully in there. It's a book on writing and she talks about you've publishing. Mentioned, you've mentioned this book before. Yeah. 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 You know, it keeps kind of coming up in this process for me. I don't yeah. I don't love the entire book, but but I'll say it's certainly worth reading. Yeah. And certainly the, the section on publishing is worth reading at the end of the day is that it's not going to make you happy. It's kind of a false victory. And in a way, it feels like to me a distraction yeah. from the work. So I would much rather and I would recommend that your manuscript is polished. Your first 10 to 20 pages are absolutely shiny. Yeah. And instead of working on that old piece, while you're querying, you were teeing up the next piece. And that's what I've been doing. And it, that's giving me some dopamine. That's giving me some hope 
as I'm starting to work out the characters and the plotting and like doing my comp research. Yeah. I'm back in that like nascent stage of planning. And yeah. it's like everything's so bright and shiny. Like I'm like super excited by that. And that's helping me balance what is not a very fun process of yeah. querying. It also gives you, if for some reason you do get a bite, you get to say, oh yeah, I'm working on this next thing. Yeah. Nobody right, really right. wants an author that's just done a book, right? Either you've got previously self-published works or yeah. traditionally published works, or you're planning some future things because they want something that's repeatable at least two or three times, right? Yeah, it's interesting about the, uh, <laughs> like getting to that published step and publishing and being like, oh, okay. I mean, even self-publishing, it felt the same way. Whereas like I got it out there and it was like, there was a lot of stuff I did before that building up to it to get it out there, which felt good. I was accomplishing things and getting it done. But then as soon as it got out there, it was kind of like, Meh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I should be asking I, you because you've been through like, the whole process. I was like, can I, can I start the next one now? Or like, what am I going to do? Like, oh, I got to do marketing. Oh, my God. People just, yeah. go, just go read it. So you're it, doing please. the same thing, right? Like, you're not querying, but you're marketing your existing book Yeah. yeah. while planning the next book. Yeah. I think that's the right setup, right? I feel like... Yeah, it feels. I mean, I feel good now because I'm... I'm getting, you know, into the second book and, you know, getting, getting words on, on pages. So, and I feel good about it, but yeah, I feel like you want to write, right? Like it's not, you don't want to be known if you want to be a writer and continue to write in a way you need to let go of your past work a little bit. And it's like yeah. a messy breakup. You <laughs> want to support it in its own way, but yeah. it can't be the all encompassing life changing piece anymore. You need yeah. to move on to the next piece. Yeah. Um, while managing the old piece a little bit. Because in a weird way, the only way that the old piece gets any recognition is if you get to that next one and then the one after that because you're going to become a better writer and people will start seeing everything that you've written and hopefully read your stories and enjoy them and that's life cycle. It's interesting that you say recognition because I know that's part of it. But I still think that if you're hedging your bets on recognition, it's another one of those potential pitfalls that could stop you. Like you could be a writer, right? Like you can write for your entire life. You may not ever get any recognition, but you can still do a thing that you love. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't mean by for me, the author, I meant for like the book, the book actually, the first book you've written being recognized by, if you write the next book, you know, hopefully that'll Oh yeah, like, I, I, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, as I'm just pontificating, I'm just thinking like the things that derail us and that stop us from creative pursuits yeah, is yeah. usually the lack of adulation, the yep. lack of recognition, you know, yeah. we'll look at past things as failures and not continue to move on. Whereas I do think those who end up finding success eventually, it's never immediate. Yeah. They just don't see past failures, quote unquote, as failures. They see them as learning experiences. Yep. Yep. Um, it's weird to think that you can do anything that you want to do if you don't want to receive recognition for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so far you said you've created to what, five or six, uh, which, you know, yeah, I mean, that's yeah, about, yeah. So I'm tracking it in a spreadsheet. I've got yeah, and like, you the, hundreds of the, more to, to query. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right now my spreadsheet, I only have like 20. Okay. Um, but I, I'm going to query way more than that. I, I know I am. It, yeah. It's going to be the sad thing I do for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right here with you, buddy, the whole way. <laughs> and I'll tell you, just, just like applying for jobs, after I send it, I am the most hopeful you'll ever be. I'm picturing my new life with this agent. <laughs> they love it. They're excited. They're calling me. They're ready to pitch. Let's You're talk like, about cover art. And then the next day, I'm like, you worthless. <laughs> oh, my God. Why did you send that? You know? Why did you even wake up this morning? Go back to sleep. <laughs> it's 
all you want to do. Um, I was going to say, so, I mean, only five or six, but have you noticed a difference? And we were talking about this, like the, the format and the request between the five or six you've sent to what they're asking for and what they're looking for. Has there been a difference or is it just really minor? Yeah, there is a difference. Um, I mean, the days of mailing your manuscript in or over, everything's digital. The two biggest differences I've seen, some request everything in email, mm. your letter, your synopsis, and the first 10 pages. No attachments, zero attachments. They won't accept oh, an really? attachment. Oh, they no. want it all right in the body. All right in the body, yes. which means formatting, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll get used to what they want is single line breaks in between each paragraph, no indentations. Wow. And then okay. the other ones that I've done, and I've done two of these so far, where they use a third-party service called Query Tracker. I've heard of it, yeah. I'd recommend everybody who's interested in querying sign up for an account just so it's easy to go back and check. You can do it as a guest, but if you if you want this to be, you know, if you want to take it seriously, sign up for an account. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that's dialogue boxes. It's still like the same format. They ask you for the title. They ask you for the genre. They ask you for the word count. Yeah. Which, and just to pause on word count for a minute, really, really important to know what the genre expectations are for your word count. Yes. You don't want to submit a 200K horror book. Yeah. You know, I, I felt a little weird because mine's a little over 100K. Yeah. You know, it's down from 120K, but I, but <laughs> so it's mine's like 104, 105, give or take. That's still a little, they want 90 to 100. So like I'm a little over, I'm a yeah. little over. Yep. Um, you don't want to give them any reason to dismiss you immediately, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, let them at least read your letter. <laughs> then there's a dialogue box for like your letter. And then there's one for the synopsis. And then there's, you know, they'll ask you for a website if you've got one, a blog if you've got one, a Twitter handle if you've got one. And then you submit and then yeah. they can reject right in there. You'll get an automated email that it's gone through. And then you'll get, you know, contacted usually two to three weeks after the fact. It took me about two weeks to get my first rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I was going to say, so two things. One is like the, the formatting thing. That's kind of interesting with, with an email. I don't, I didn't get that far to like actually seeing requirements for some people. I saw like the basics, but kind of almost feels like they're just weeding out the people who aren't paying attention, like who aren't, totally. reading, the, who aren't reading the rules and just like, just like it's just like job like, applications. Yeah. Dude. Like if you, it's, if you didn't read, if you didn't read the directions and we, you're not paying attention, you're, you're off the list. It's like probably a quick way to like eliminate probably thousands of entries and being like, Let's focus on the people who actually paid attention. And I'll tell you, when you're looking into agents, 90% of them on their web pages or on their agent sites or on their social have their own query criteria and they have their own bio. And that's yeah. not vanity. They're yeah. saying, are you a good fit for me? For, yeah. So yep. here's who I am. Do we fit? Yep. And um, here's the rub too, right? It, once again, just like interviewing for a job, it's usually who you know. I don't know anybody. Right? Yeah. I don't know anybody in this industry that's going to like raise me up and give me a shot. But if you have similar backgrounds in certain areas, maybe you went to the same college, maybe you're from the same town, maybe you like the same movie, whatever it. it is, <laughs> use it. And I'll say that's where it makes sense to personalize the letter a little bit. If they've yeah. given you those pieces, don't lie because you do want it for your own piece to be a good fit. You don't right. want it to be a force. But if there's some overlap between your history and experience and interests that you can share in there, especially if it's biographical, yeah. use it. Maybe yeah. it's the alma mater. Maybe you were an English major. Maybe you like the same Netflix shows. But it there's if you don't have a personal connection, maybe you have a historical kind of biographical one. I'm curious, so you, this query tracker, how many of, of the people you've sent to have used this tool? So the ones I've sent to, only two so far. Okay. But 
many people use it. Okay. Like, and I think it's much easier on the agent side of things for them to keep. Tr- it's not so much for, I mean, I'm sure it's for authors a little bit. I think it's more for agents. Yeah. It's easier for, it's easier because their inbox, I'm sure, is filled with actual work email and in yeah. addition to, to authors, you know, casting their line and making their pitch. So, um, but it's, it's pervasive. Like it's, yeah. it's everywhere. I get too much questions. So one is, uh, what are the types of response you've, you've received so far from? So like... I've only gotten one response so far out of all okay. the ones that I've sent out. And it was at the um, query tracker or like actual it email? It was query one? tracker with like a slightly personalized message. I won't say yeah. personalized to me, but personalized to an author. It wasn't like rejected. It was like, we're not interested at this time. Don't give up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like Keep on trucking. Never give up. Never surrender. <laughs> And um, I was talking to um, a neighbor of mine who um, he's great. Uh, he's an author in his own right. Um, he writes literary fiction. He has a really hard time personally with the rejection of it. Like it's he doesn't want to query. He, he actually made it far enough in his past life to have an agent. He had an agent, you know, because agent's only the first piece of this. The next piece is selling the book to a publisher. Right, right. And um, publishers didn't bite. And he was really crestfallen, really crestfallen to the point yeah. where he doesn't really want to go back through that process again almost like a bad breakup yeah um, which to me is a shame right like i think he's very talented um he doesn't even want to go back to those old works two books not self-published yeah um just... didn't make it and they're just kind of done i'll say keep your chin up and uh if man if you've got something else that you can work on to keep those spirits high work on it so when you're you have your list of whatever 20 25 agents you're 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 planning to reach out to um and i'm sure you can probably add more as, as i gotta the, i'm adding as, to it. as the year goes on those and like i said those are s tier the comp authors who are very established that you can find in your library those are like the american idol type thing like i am ho- like i those are far i'm not going for smaller publishers right now or smaller agents right now okay um i, I will eventually right um as i kind of go through this list so this list though, are you so you said you kind of got them tiered here, but like one, how are you like organizing that as as ones you like these are ones I really want to uh, you know get? And are you sending to your top choices first? Or are you sending to kind of like in the middle ground just to kind of test this out and adjust? Or and and how much adjusting are you doing after you've sent a query or or any at all? I'll say I'm sending to the ones that I am that I feel like would be the best fit first. Okay, yeah, um, at least for like the ones that have had successes with established publishers yeah. and, and, and established authors who have made sales. Um, I am customizing when necessary. Like I sent one out yesterday. Um, I customized it because um, the woman that I had queried, there was, we had a ton of overlap when it came to interest. Like I said before about bio, similar interests in horror, similar interests in Netflix shows, similar kind of social awareness issues. So yeah. I customized it a little bit, not a ton. I wasn't like, we're going to be BFFs, but I was like, we, we have these pieces of overlap here, much like you would customize a cover letter in the intro if you have some um, something related to that to that job, I guess. Yeah. Customizing a little bit, as long as it's not a stretch, is worthwhile. In addition to Query Tracker, like if you're having a hard time finding agents, it's not that tough. They're pretty visible, honestly. So if you've got a comp list of authors that you know, you're a similar flavor of, um, mm. There, it's not too too hard really to to find their agents list. But if you're if you're tapped out on that, obviously you could do a Google search. There's also Publishers Marketplace, um, which you can tap into and and find um, you know publishing houses and agents. Uh, the other thing too, just making sure that you, before you're contacting these folks, that they are open to queries because often they close. They have a window yeah. of time that they're open, and and then they close. And, and I'll tell you, like 
your chances are slim anyway of being seen. I think they call it the slush pile. Um, there's zero if you query somebody when they're not open to queries, <laughs> you know, so yeah. make yeah. sure you strike. I had the unfortunate, I just had bad timing. You know, I'd finished polishing my book and materials in between Thanksgiving and New Year's. Mm. Um, it, it's like the worst time to query. And there are like historically good times and bad times. I will say like, I don't think it's a one-to-one. You can be seen in the times where less deals are made. And just because certain deals are made during certain months doesn't mean, because there's obviously like a lapse of time between you getting getting an agent and the agent pitching a book. I don't think there's data necessarily about when's the best time to query an agent per se. I think there is data about when's the best time for the agent to pitch a sale to a publishing house. Which makes sense, right? Because there's certain times of the of the year when certain types of books are best sold, right? Like the yeah. summer, the summer read, the the beach reads, the you know the cozy uh, mysteries in the winter. You know? Yeah. So they probably time it based on on when those moments are like, hey, publishers are looking for these types of books at this point of the year. So yeah, I can see that so being I, kind of some connection. I mean, I've heard January is not horrible. I think budgets kind of renew. Fiscal years are over. I feel like January um, is terrible for everything. <laughs> Yeah. Like movies, I mean, books, it, like. <laughs> yeah. And I think people right now, like I queried yesterday and I was like, okay, people are cleaning out their inbox. For those who are listening, it's early January when we're recording this. And I hesitated. I was like, should I wait? Should I wait a week until they're clean? And I was like, no, like it's after the holiday. Yeah. You know, maybe they don't want to clean out their inbox and they'll see my emails and they'll want to procrastinate. <laughs> <laughs> like who knows? Who knows? Um, but I'd say do a Google search, you know, because there's uh, as as everything, there's articles everywhere about everything. And there's a ton of articles about when the best time of, of year is to query. Yeah. Obviously, avoid major holidays, I think, is is kind of a no brainer, <laughs> yeah, even though I really wanted to. Speaking of that urgency, I was almost like, I don't care. I'm ready to go. I'm going to query right now. And it's, you know, it's just doing your work a disservice by sending it off, you know, before the holiday or when people are obviously on break. Yeah. You know, I I wanted to query, right? Like I wanted to aim high. I'm perfectly fine with self-publishing when the time comes. Yeah. You know, if this goes on for a year, you know, I'll, I'll take my licks and, and I'll self-publish. Um, but hopefully by that time, I'll be done with the first draft of the next book. But I think I'll always query, you know, I think yeah. I'll always try. Yeah. first you know but you know you're coming to me now after one rejection in six queries come to me now after <laughs> <Like>, 100 <laughs> see how see how you feel then yeah i'm still in the fence of uh book two i would start the query process i don't know if i i don't know if i will i might just stick with the, the self-published because i've got it i mean i wouldn't say i've got it down but i've gone through it and i've got a pretty good feel for it and i think at this point it's just kind of fine-tuning some of the uh the launch aspects and and post-marketing i've got to really figure out but yeah yeah, for me, I don't know if it's a vanity thing or what or a confidence thing, but after reading comps, I, I feel like I can fit there, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, for better or worse, I have confidence that for historic books that are written in the 70s, con- contemporary books that are written now, I feel like I poured my heart and soul into this thing. Yeah. I love my characters. I like my plotting. To me, it doesn't feel cringy. <laughs> Others, it may. <laughs> so I want to aim as high as I can aim. And, yeah. and then readjust um, if needed. Because, you know, we were talking to J.D. Edwin, right, uh, about her first book and a previous podcast when we interviewed her. And um, it sounded like for her first book, you know, she'd written something before her Headspace trilogy, which she had gotten published. Um, yep. She personally didn't have confidence in her first piece. Yeah. You know, and to hear her tell it is that she 
not only didn't really know marketing, but didn't really have the faith in her work to push it out there. So she sold it to friends, but but didn't really want to continue through that traditional process. Now that she feels more experienced, right? She's actually teaching classes on writing. You know, she's got her own series of book published. She wants to query now, right? So I think part of it is, you know, if you've got faith in your piece, I I personally think it's worth worth, um, giving it a shot. I know we fall on different sides of the fence here. And I know I tried to amp you up to query because I do think there are positives to the self-published route. You have control. You've got control of your timeline. You're getting them out. You've got control of your marketing and your sales and everything. Yeah. I don't want to have to do, I know, I know no matter what you got to do that anyway, a little bit, right. It's not like the olden days where I'm going to have like an Alan Wake cut out of myself (laughs) in a bookstore or something. Yeah. There's, Um, There's still things you need to do. So yeah, still stuff you need to do. But yeah, no, that, that's all I got. I just say, oh, you know, cool. I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna do check-ins. I mean, check-in because you gotta keep those, keep them going, right? I'll tell you what I'm most excited about is the new story. I am excited. I am good. jazzed. I'm waking up in the middle of the night. I'm taking notes. I'm reading nice. comps. It's a good feeling. Um, it's just I feel so excited about this new story, much like I felt about the last one. And I've yeah. had, you know, you you've you know heard me go on. I've had multiple ideas for like the next thing. Yeah, yeah. To the point of where I worked out beats um, for some story ideas. They didn't grab me. Yeah. This one's really grabbing me. And I, I do think there's, it's almost like sifting through um, to soot for like, I don't know, a precious mineral. It's like you need to go through like mediocre ideas before you land on the one that you want to focus your time on. Yeah. And now yeah. I feel like, because I said that before, like, do I want to focus my time? Because it's, as you know, a gigantic time sink to move on to the next thing. And uh, I, now I feel like I've got like a nice little gem that I can focus and pour myself into again. So yes, that's a good feeling. It's nice to have that <laughs> to balance off the, the query process. Uh, awesome. I, I think that was that was good. Um, uh, what do you what do you watch and read? So like as I said before, I'm like doing a lot of comp research right now. So I'm trying to track. So my next book that I, that I want to write, it's um, if this one was kind of, you know, kind of outbreak. The next one, I really want to write a, a ghost story, hmm. a haunting story. and um, I really want it to be scary. Like, and the, I personally am very susceptible to like ghost stories ever mm-hmm. since I was a kid. Like, I watch a ton of horror. They're really the only things that spook me, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, as far as reading, you know, I'm reading, um, they're like really old timey, like early 1900s ghost stories by a guy named M.R. James. And, um, He's super influential. It's post-Gothic horror in a way where it's it's always the same setup. There are these short ghost stories where a well-to-do Englishman goes somewhere, maybe to like, I don't know, Switzerland, maybe to a monastery, maybe to a library, maybe to an old house, whatever he's doing. He's doing some kind of professorly bougie research into an artifact, a painting, a book, whatever it is. Yeah, It sets up the world of this kind of well-to-do professional Englishman and they come across this token or this talisman and then you know the haunting begins and it's this it's it's weird because like you know the first half of the book is really boring really that book the stories it's a lot of world building but it's a device it's a device because as as you get towards the climax of it all it gets really grotesque like out of nowhere (laughs) you know it's they're talking about architecture and you know faux history or real history about certain areas and all of a sudden it's like and he had no face (laughs) where'd that come from (laughs) yeah so um i guess he really influenced uh lovecraft quite a bit okay um you know i'm a mild fan of lovecraft i don't love all the xenophobia and racism um but I i do feel like that um lovecraft 
cribbed MR James quite a bit, was heavily inspired by that setup yeah, yeah. of, you know, the idea of, you know, ancient beings, you know, certain hauntings, yeah. you know, professorly people, you know, it, it known from what, like, whether they be real universities or faux universities traveling and coming across this kind of, um, a talisman and then they end up going through this kind of faustian experience where they've yep. stepped out of their circle they've learned too much knowledge and now they're kind of being punished for it yeah it's yeah. super abrupt these stories I, I will say personally as like a fan of horror i much prefer gothic tales mm-hmm. and this was kind of an answer to gothic tales yeah um i even like gothic tales that have no haunting in them like i love wuthering heights like i love it to death but obviously mm-hmm. like frankenstein dracula and you know stuff like that so mm. But I, I do feel like I need to do my homework, my my ghost story homework as I'm beginning to um, work on my own. Yeah, yeah. And then for watching, I've been sitting down watching, you know, old haunting horror movies. I've I've printed out um, the beasts. Mm. I've got I've got my clipboard and nice. I've been sitting down and yep. breaking the movies out into the beats. Nice. It's interesting. I watched the original Amityville. Yep. Yep. Um, which, you know, was based on a book you know, but kind of true story, but not really a true story book. Yep. And then I watched the early 2000s remake with Ryan Reynolds. Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> and I'll tell you, like the beats are really for the 1970s version. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It came out right around when The Shining did. Super similar concepts. Yep. yep. Um, they're really messy in the 70s version. Mm. Like not, I mean, I won't say messy, but I say they, they appear at different percentages. You know how like- Yep they break it up into certain percentages of where certain beats should happen. Right, right. So the catalyst for the intro or for for the original one happens right in the intro. It's immediate. There's right, no yeah, like, it, there's no like- Setup or anything like that. It's just there's like- There's no setup really. Yeah, yeah. So much so that I, I kind of got confused. I was like, is this the setup or is yeah, this the yeah. catalyst? Yeah. But now you go to the early 2000s one and they must've had the B sheet down because it is <laughs> because, like- Because they took that original- yeah. And they tidied that thing. They polished it. It is, it's like a machine. It is exactly yeah. down to the percentage. The beats are all <laughs> exactly there. There's this difference between this the 1970s version of storytelling, yeah, where it's yeah. almost a little more literary, where there's some tangents and, you know, scenes that don't necessarily move the plot forward too, too much. Yeah. yeah. To, the, the, to, the, to like the early 2000s one, which is just so structured and, yeah. and so deliberate in its pacing and quick yeah but, yeah but i was like oh my god this is so easy like it's almost filling in itself that's a, well, so wait when did that when did the ryan Reynolds one come out 2000 i want to say it was like 2006 ish that's kind of interesting so it's 1970s and 2000s i'm obviously the, the the film industry has changed so much with the studios and how you're getting money to make stuff for i wonder you know when you get to 2000s all of a sudden everything's become a machine to just you know make something yeah. that's gonna sell so i'll tell you in a way i feel like obviously the original one was adapting the book mm-hmm. which is a bit different yeah and 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 very obviously, like the the two thousands one was adapting the old movie. Yeah, yeah. So they're all kind of banging something like else into a certain of... shape. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like there are certain expectations. Um, I think expectations have changed in storytelling technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some you know filmic auteurs you know can get away. You know, you got your Scorseses and and you sure. got your Tarantinos um, who can kind of go on, on tangents and things like that. And then you've yeah. got your pop movies that really kind of fit fit the mold. Fit the, like, yeah, yeah. Your Camerons. Yeah. But yeah, I watched like Wonka this weekend with the kids. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Like it, once again, it was just the beat sheet again, <laughs> yeah, you know. Checking off like a list. In, in a way, it's kind of nice watching movies that don't follow it to a T. 
it was my brain was really trying to untangle that original one yeah, yeah. but anyway that, that's what i've been reading and watching i'm just kind of doing my best to i feel like relatively secure in my like horror knowledge but as i'm really diving into you know this genre i just want to make sure that i'm one not repeating stuff that's been done i really want to have my own iteration of mm -hmm. this um whether it be intentional or accidentally yep um and then two, I want to make sure that I don't want to pay homage, but I also want to make sure that I'm falling within my genre you know, yeah. firmly. Yep. So I, I want to know what the genre is because I'd never really read other than King, you know, The Shining, Pet Cemetery, yeah. things like that. I haven't yeah. read many haunting books. Yeah. Um, Just be careful you don't get into what, you, what we've run into before where you read something you're like, oh, this is my book. All right. I already had this idea. That's Just, why I want to do it all before. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I want to do this now and, and then I want to move genres. My next up, I've got um, Matheson's Hell House. Yeah. on deck which i had never read and um I i'm really close to finishing up peter Straub's ghost story which is not a ghost story <laughs> anyway um but yeah that's where i am it's exciting nice. research research fired up for the new for the new book i like it I like and it. i really feel like i can add some things like right now i feel like i've got a really nice spin and modern take on this genre that can tap into contemporary fears while you know fitting firmly in the genre so i'm super excited about it nice nice how about you, man? What are you watching? What are you reading? Um, a few things. I just finished The Tourist by Olin Steinhauer, I believe his name is. Uh, it's an espionage thriller, CIA stuff. Again, kind of doing some research because my next book will be a little less sci-fi and going to be firmly planted in like espionage thriller, techno thriller type of thing. So um, it was it was good. Uh I would say, I shouldn't say it's good. It was okay. Uh, it, it really <laughs> focused on, I found myself- <laughs> You can say it's good, man. <laughs> no, no, it was okay. Uh, it, it was, um, it focused so much on details I didn't care about. Um, and I don't know, again, like I've read a lot of thrillers and sometimes I think that's part of the, the genre expectations. People like that mm -hmm. stuff, but I don't need like street names and what street he turned on and how, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just like this balance of like, you're kind of ruining the action by giving me this detail of like, oh, and you took a right on main street yeah. and then a left that on. That sounds blah, blah, familiar blah, blah, blah. because like, you gave me the same critique about yeah. my book. Yeah. So <laughs> and I deleted all that stuff. <laughs> it was just, it was a me thing. They're like, I don't need this. Give me, no, give me I, the action. I think give it's me. common. I, yeah, I've had some other folks from the beta that said the same thing. It was just like, this is a little too much detail. It's obvious you're staring at a map right now and you're like, you are yeah. mentally turning these here. Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was you know, 400 some odd pages. Cut it down. Cut it down to 350, 325. Like get all this, this extra stuff out of here and like get me into the story. Mm -hmm. um, but that, again, like I said, that's a pretty common theme or common uh, trait of thrillers, I find. Um, and this one's a little bit older, so might kind of fall in that bucket. But so I finished that. Um, I started reading. I'm way behind on the Dennis Lehane train here. Uh, and I just started, you know, the guy from Massachusetts who wrote Mystic River and Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's written some some hits that have turned into really good movies. Um, so I read it. I started reading his first uh, uh, number one in his series, uh, the Kenzie and Gennaro series. Like they're kind of like uh, private investigators, um, and all takes place in Boston. So I read I read the first one, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm working on the second book now, Darkness Take My Hand, and it's. It's just like the, I don't know what it is about it, but the way the words just flow in his writing, it's just, it, it, it cooks. And it's like a 400 page book, but I feel like I'm just like moving through and I don't know, I haven't, I'm like trying to figure out what the difference is between this 400 page book and the one I just read. And they're, yeah. you know, kind of thrillers. I mean, one's more, this 
the main ones are in first person. So I don't know if that maybe helps. Um, but yeah, sometimes yeah. just word choice. If there's like a certain syncopation to the beat, yeah. honestly, for something like that, it's worth like finding a passage and writing it down yourself and just looking at it and seeing yeah. what he's doing. I, I love stuff like that. I love books that make you want to read them out loud, right? That like they just have a beat, a rhythm to them. Yeah. So That's I'm cool. honestly like I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm just going to keep, I don't know, cranking through through his works. I'll get through some of his more popular ones that, you know, really put him on the map. But this is, it's good. So I'm a third of the cool. way through that in like two days. So, which is, I don't read that fast usually. Um, I'm still working through Dune Messiah. I'm like about like 30, 40 pages and I need a, I need a breather from Dune, the Dune world for a bit. So yeah. Um, but that's been it for reading, watching, um, not too much. I don't, I've just over the holidays, of course, you know, I do the diehard watch and, and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Um, but nothing new really. Um, I got into watching Yellowstone, uh, which is kind of funny cause I never thought I would. Um, it's not bad. Uh, I'm enjoying it as like, okay. Is that uh, the Costner one? Yeah. The Costner one. Um, I just like I cranked through it. the first two seasons and it's, it's not bad. It's, it's funny cause like. <laughs> I'm watching it and I don't know if it's because I'm like a really hyper aware of these things, but it's like basically this show's turned into like another problem at the ranch, which whatever, that's fine. You know, <laughs> and it's like, oh, here's another problem at the ranch. I've got another dead body because people keep killing people for no damn reason. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's kind of turned into that, which is fine. Um, but it's also funny where I can see the setups and I'm like, I know, I know what's going to happen right now. Like I, like you're mm. the way you're setting up this moment, this conversation, I know this guy's going to, he's going to kill someone and they have to deal with that. And it's going to be the new problem in the ranch. And I'm like, it's just there to me, they're just like so obvious. Um, yeah. and I don't know if that's maybe like the comfort in watching something like that, where you can like, you as the viewer can be like, well, I, I mean, I know what's going to happen right now. Like, I think so. Yeah. Is that just like the thing where it pulls you in? But yeah, I've been enjoying it. I just cranked through the second season. I'm like, is there an overarching seasonal mystery? Is it like yeah oh. yeah yeah there's always like the new i mean so far two seasons in third season there's always like the basically the big villain for the for the season which is yeah. kind of funny it's like yeah here's our thanos for for this season and then yeah they deal with that in the next season here's our, our new one you know um and then of course everyone's got their own subplots because it's a family and then each character's got their own thing going on that leads into these b stories that you know moving you're not along. selling me on yellowstone no why not no it feels like a long time sink of repetition yeah, I mean, pretty much like it's yeah, it's like the first two seasons so far, it's been kind of same repeat, but I heard great things about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I mean, I wouldn't say like I'm, I'm I'm definitely enjoying it and like I'm working through it. So um, I don't think you would enjoy it. I don't think it's your cup of tea. And then they definitely have like the episodes like the like the fly episode in, uh in Breaking Bad where they have like ones where like all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'll be watching and then I'm like, wait, are we just doing like horse stuff for like 20 minutes <laughs> like, are we like are we just doing like like horse races for 15 minutes of this episode like what what is this like oh yeah. you're just pleasing the the crowd that likes the horses and wants to see that action going on and we're like okay we could cut this down to an episode and move through the story you know yeah yeah but uh but yeah that's been pretty much it and uh yeah just trying to get back into into writing so cool man that it we done i think we're done nice so what that's our next that's our episode. I don't know. Uh, what are we doing next? We're going to talk about writing myths, myths about writing. Oh, writing myths. I like that. Yeah. So I'm into we'll, it. we'll dive into those and, and, and talk about them and tear them apart because there's definitely ones that I've come across and ones I've seen people write about that I disagree with. Um, Very so yeah, cool. That's it. So thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, send along someone that you might think also might enjoy it. And if you're a writer who wants to be interviewed, give us a up. shout. Or if yeah. you're an agent, Ooh. who's looking for writers <laughs> right 
I know I mean, somebody who's querying. It's me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I, have someone, I know someone who's finished a book. That's me. Wanna, <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about my, me right now. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. Some good this, horror. This is your Maybe. episode. This is you. Uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Writer Syndrome Books. We're going to start getting a little more active on there in 2024. So stay tuned for that. We're still on Twitter at Writer underscore Syndrome. Yeah, we need a new. For how long? We'll see for how long. <laughs> new approach. We are on YouTube, which is a great spot to find us, Writer Syndrome. And uh, otherwise, you can go to our website, find contact info to reach out to us, uh, and find all our other episodes. It's good stuff at writersyndrome.com.